Fletcher Smith here. Yeah, but, um, I'm telling you how much I want to get this done. You know, when yeah. I came here, George, I said, I don't want to be involved in the Beatles or the Sinatra loss. I'll make my own losses. Yeah, but if you do... I'm going to get involved now. You should do, because, you know, we can talk. And he, you know, but Basket was just very stubborn for a bit. But I think it's... it's. I think we can get so, it done. Yeah. I got my fat pin, okay? Uh, I have another one. Okay. <laughs> You're a star again. You're a teenage idol again. Fame at last. <laughs> Fame at last. Mm. Uh, did he tell you what this is all about? Well, I heard years ago you were going to do. A I'm doing a book. It's not my book. It's not okay. So I decided to interview everybody in the world, and yeah. it's killing me. It's going to kill me before I've done 240, starting with Artie Shaw, Woody Herman, yeah. up till today. The history I, of music, kind of, and everybody's kind of story. You know, okay. I've done well, Yoko, I've done Paul, I've done Jagger, I've done okay. Elton John. Let's so just, I just want to talk a little bit. Okay, just let's go. The black yeah. line was terrific, incidentally. That was. Was incredible. That was I was drinking Dos I got a, a little bit over the top of places, but I but it it, it had some really serious moments. <laughs> it, it was marvelous. I mean, they, in fact, they're getting me a tape on it. Uh, the girl who um, nearly committed suicide and all that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's. Tell me, I'll just get into this. Yeah. How hard is it to be George Harrison? How how difficult is it to? Well, right now it's it's yeah. getting easier all the time. It was um, very difficult once we got into the heavy period of the Beatles in the early '60s and through the mania. That was very difficult. Then we went through all the drug period, which scrambled our brains up, showed us a lot, but also presented problems to trying to recover from that. And then after the Beatles split, and historically we all know there was all the legal problems and stuff like that. It took me a number of years to actually be able to um, come to terms with it. But I'm glad to say I've come out of the other end of that tunnel and I feel really, really good about it. I mean, physically I feel good, mentally I feel good, and I'm a happy person in myself. All our problems are going away slowly and I'm doing good personally, film company and everything. So it's really quite easy now. But it, it has been, it's like carrying a, a weight around. And, mm. you know, there's a few of you in the world who've had to do that. The, yeah. A jagger. Or oh, a, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's quite, I mean, I don't go around from day to day thinking of, you know, I'm George Harrison of the Beatles. When people come up to me in the street or on planes or whatever, then, or the Hall of Fame, or when I'm out promoting the record, obviously, have that frame of mind. But I, I try to balance my life with... Um, you know, peace and quiet, because uh, the other side of it is real rowdy, you know, when you get into the record business and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think that I've been a very extreme person. I'm a Pisces, you see. One half's going where the other half's just been. And it's been very extreme, you know, extremely up or extremely down, extremely spiritual or extremely drugged. And now with a bit of maturity, I've brought the two extremes to closer to the middle and I don't get too far out I don't get too up or too down and it's it feels good are you sick of talking about that what well, it was only about an eight or ten year period at the most uh, yeah do you get sick of talking about that well not really because that period was only in like sandwiched in the middle of everything else like when we I started at 14 or 15 with my guitar and they met Paul and John at that time we played in uh, in a little events up until the 1960 when we started to do better and sort of do it professionally. Then we had the mania, and then you know I had the solo career, and I have all kinds of other little um, careers going on the side. Like I had 
with the record company and my involvement with Indian music and Ravi Shankar and and uh, you know now the film company I I have lots of hobbies like I love gardens because well there's no question you have stuff like that dimensions in your life yeah and I think that's all helped because the Beatles was such a big part I didn't want that just to be the end of my life just I came in in 1964 into America and we went out in 1969 and that's the end of the story but it actually is just a continuing story well for so many who are either athletes or entertainers that is the story and they they have nothing else to go with here today uh, gone to Maui (laughs) Uh, why how can you perceive uh, it's very difficult you're an insider why this this group above all 20 years later we put out these compact discs and this frenzy starts again are there any well actually what's happened is even uh, before the CDs and this 20 years ago for Sgt. Pepper there was always a period like I think in the 70s there was a period when the Beatles sold again and became... I think it's each generation when they get to being... Well, I saw it happen with my own boy. I didn't tell him anything about the Beatles. But one day he suddenly said to me, Hey, Dad, can you show me the piano riff to Bulldog on the piano? And I thought, well, how, how the hell has he heard that? That's such an obscure tune in my uh, back of my mind. But then I realised all kids, when they get to be five six years old, they all watch Yellow Submarine. And as they get older and they start getting into their teens, they, they somehow seem to discover the Beatles and it has this lasting quality. What, what it, do you have any idea if you ever had a... I think whatever the quality was to begin with, why people liked us in those days, it's the same thing. It's the, some little magic chemistry that happened between us and... Somehow it got in the grooves of those records. And uh, not every song we ever did was brilliant, but there's a lot of them that are just timeless. They're great songs, and they just happen to have in the groove that chemistry that I think seems to appeal to each generation as it comes up. When you, when you wound it down, what, what kind of withdrawal pains did you have? Uh, of the Beatles? Yeah. Well, it was just mainly the sadness of... Because um, we've been so close for so long I mean as Mick Jagger said at the Hall of Fame the four-headed monster we never went anywhere without each other we shared all the miseries and the isolation of being in limos and hotels and planes and concert halls which is all we ever saw for years and that was the saddest thing of us actually getting fed up with each other as you know not being able to although at the same time I would relate that to growing up in a family you know when you get certain age you all want to go off and get your own girlfriends and your own houses and you know split up a bit but um, at the same time it was the perfect chance for me which I was eager to to get into with uh, my own records like all things must pass because you know I had uh, just not so many tunes as you know on the Beatle records so it was like this constipation I was feeling of musical uh, constipation and all things must pass was like going to the bathroom and, and let it out. You made a, at least one record uh, along the way that didn't get a great reception. Yeah, I had a how, couple. How, yeah, how, did, how could you deal with that? Because That's you were okay. by another standard. Uh, that was okay because yeah. t- 
to some people, you know, the success... Um, I mean, this may be different for Paul because I think he feels more like he has to be a success all the time. For me, I had such ego satisfaction through the Beatle period and we had more fame than anybody could imagine. So when my records, the ones that didn't sell many, it was, it didn't really matter to me. Like, as an example, Ringo once said to me, I've got to have a number one, I've got to have a number one. And I said, you don't got to have a number one. It's you, you aren't the number one. The record is the second. Okay, now it's nice now I've got my record doing well. And it's nice to have the success with the record. But again, as I say, if, if you set yourself up by looking for success, when you have a failure, you fall much deeper. So as I say, to bring the two together, and as Bob Dylan once said, to, when you find out when you get to the top, you're at the bottom, and the success and failure are really, in a way, the same thing. So it, it, the only thing that I didn't like about it was the fact that they never really played anything on the radio. Now, I suppose some of it was to do with I got a bit tired working on my own, which is what I've been saying about this new album, why it's got that energy because I was up for it. I got Jeff to work with me. And partially because I went into this thing where I was trying to do music and songs and lyrics that said something else. And quite frankly, the, you, know, you know the radio business. The, they don't want to play stuff like that. They want, you know, your catchy little hits that they can just program in there and, you know, not have to think too much about. And plus, by that time I got so fed up, I wasn't giving any support to the record label either. Well, on a couple of albums. Yeah. <clears throat> so they were the ones that consequently sold the, the, the least. Tell me, what are your recollections of the Bangladesh experience uh, that you were such a key player? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was something which... Because of my relationship with Ravi, and he being such a sort of humble person, he said, I'm going to do this show, uh, but I'm thinking of how I can make a bit more money than I would normally be able to do, because he may only doesn't make that much. So he said something like, maybe we could make $25,000 per, maybe you or Peter Sellers or both of you could come on and do something or announce it. And then he started telling me about the war. I read all the information about it. And it just, I just thought, this is terrible. Something's got to be done. So I got on the telephone and, you know, I said to Ravi, well, I think if we're going to, if, if you want me to involve, I better just be really involved. And I started recruiting all these people. And I spent the couple of months between making the decision and the concert just on the phone and rounded up all those guys. It was very, very difficult at first, but once he got closer to the show and I had commitments from some people, then it was like a snowball. It was hard uh, turning down people because then, you know, everybody wanted to be on it. But um, what it was mainly intended to do was attract attention to the situation that was happening at the time. The money was secondary, although we had some problems because of Klein and not handling it right. They still got plenty of money, which was still only a drop in the ocean. But you the main thing was we spread the word and they helped get the war ended. And there's yeah. like little um, Bengali waiters in Indian restaurants still come up to me today and said, oh, when we were fighting in the jungle, you know, it was so great to know that somebody out there was supporting us. And I think that it was just a moral stance, really. And the money was secondary. And... Uh, 
it's certainly shown and grown over the years that um, the musicians and people in the arts and entertainment are much more humane than the politicians. Because now what's happened, you know, is like it's people accept it to do charity. When I did that, they said things like, uh, you know, there's always somebody negative. He's only doing this to be nice, you know, or something. Yeah, you know, he's still trying to and find a negative <laughs> yeah, thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, you you take part in a lot of... You're always up on stage. Not always, but you're in stage a lot of times with Eric Clapton and yeah. the people there. That, that's got to be a kick, too. It's I mean, great. It's you know, I mean, I'm still... Uh, I'm still a fan of other people, just like, you know, we have our own fans, but... I mean, it's a thrill. I mean, our relationship gets better all the time. Like on this latest album I just did, with um, we've been through so many ups and downs together now. You know, there's a real deep relationship between these people, like me and Ringo and yeah. Eric and uh, Jeff Lynne and you know Ray Cooper and Jim Keltner and all these yeah. people who are my friends, Elton John. And it's it's a serious relationship now. It's not you know we still have fun and don't get too heavy, but we know if we need each other for anything, you know, that you've got a true friend. Have, have you been writing songs on a regular basis over mm. the last sixteen, seventeen years? Yeah, and even the years like the last uh, five years when I didn't have an album out, I've got tons of stuff. Like I said on Rockline, I've got enough stuff in my studio to make even Jim Reeves jealous. <laughs> you write by yourself? Yeah, and this is uh, the first time really that I've written with, um, well I, I did write one tune with Dylan back in 1969. I wrote one with Eric Clapton and I've written some for Ringo, helped him finish some songs. And I, I've done a couple of tunes with those people but I've never actually sat there and said let's write you know, they were always just quick situations uh, until Jeff Lynn came along. And that was really good because it's hard to write a tune. You reveal really your uh, limitations and strengths. And I think more important than the most important thing to write in a tune with somebody else is to have a mutual trust and uh, also to have a compatible background. And so it's not often... I mean, maybe other writers can just meet anybody and just yeah. turn them out. But for me, I need a relationship with somebody, so a trusting relationship. And with Jeff Lynn, you know, I felt so very pleased about that. And I just look forward now to really working with him because that was just breaking the ice as far as I'm concerned, that album. In the Beatles scheme of things, did you write off by yourself or were you ever... Yeah, I, everything... You were on a separate track. Every Beatle record... That was a song of mine I wrote alone. Yeah. And never, that just the way it worked out? Uh, well, because those two had been yeah. writing anyway so yeah. much. And occasionally I got a lyric, a line from John when I was stuck. But at the same time, I gave them lyrics too. Like I wrote some lyrics in Eleanor Rigby and Come Together and things like that. In, uh... Remember the Sinatra record of uh, Stick Around Jack? You yeah. show, yeah, yeah, he says, I mean, it's the greatest love song of all time now. Yeah. Yeah. Started out of the year, then the decade. And yeah. That's very nice. I mean, that song had last count, which was years ago, there was yeah. over 140 covers on it. Yeah. I've got Smokey Robinson, Ray Charles. The best version of something is, what? is James Brown. 
and they, they reissued Think back in about 1972, yeah. and they used something as the B-side, and it's a killer. It is. It, it is I, I even sent him a postcode saying you should put it out as the single. Has anybody brilliant. ever heard it? I've it? got it on my jukebox yeah. at home, but, you know, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Are there any other of your songs? Had, well, nobody's had that kind of range, and none of them had that kind of coverage, I guess. No. But, but, uh, there was, a, obviously, the ones, I've like, the, the, the most well-known, like... Um, Taxman. In fact, Taxman was just done a year or so ago by Barry Gordy's son. Oh, yeah. And uh, that had a few versions of it. And if I needed someone from the old Beatles, Guitar Gently Weeps had a few. Um, Here Comes the Sun and something, obviously, were the big ones of mine. My Sweet Lord had a lot, but I don't know how much that was to do with the publishing, sub-publishing deal, where if they got the covers, they kept most of my royalties. Probably a lot to do with it. In the film business, has that given you the same kind of satisfaction as music? It's uh, given me a certain satisfaction in, um, in as much as it's not an easy business to get into as a small company you just go under very quickly. And a lot of this uh, success has to be given to Dennis O'Brien for his persistence, for his expert management financially of being a penny pincher in many ways, but it's the only way we've been able to do it. And now we've gained such respect from the bankers because we've always lived up to our word with them and we've never had a bad relationship with the banks. So now all the banks are all you know so phoning us up saying hey why don't you yeah. come with us and now we even have some major film studios who say look we can't make films like you make them those yeah. small little films there is this market for them and we'd like to you know have some involvement with you our deals are getting easier you know because Dennis would have to make one by one each film meet you know the three yeah, yeah, di- distributors yeah. three people for the videos you know now we're getting it down, down where we've gained respect from the actors and from the industry uh, as a whole and it's also becoming a little bit easier isn't this an interesting dichotomy in a career you're yeah. back being a rock star and in a movie exactly. I know it's funny able to handle it all okay yeah I mean I I keep in the side of the film company um Dennis does all the heavy business stuff. We've got a lot of good people. I've even got Ray Cooper, who was a drummer. He used to be with Ray, uh, with uh, Elton, but well, he still plays with him. And that's the good thing, because with me being a musician and Ray being a musician, we've been through that situation when, you know, when we were younger where we think, we're the artists, we do all this, you don't know anything, you're just the money. And now it's a reverse role for me. You know, so I walk in a place... And they think, yeah, you know, executive producers, it's the money. They see them as a problem because of their involvement with these heavies from the big studios. But I come in, and Ray Cooper, and we're actually people, you know, who sympathize with them and can relate with them artistically. And that really does help. You uh, you mentioned something on Rockline that uh, you almost wish there'd be another group come along. And yeah. If you, if you were casting it, if you were... Sitting here, I don't see anybody. How, how and how? What would you look for? How would you even orchestrate it? Well, you can't orchestrate yes. it, can you? Because yeah. anything that's really real, it just comes out there. It's built into the people who do it. 
I mean, you could put together bands like White Snake and sell four and a half, five million well, albums, but it doesn't mean There's nothing lasting. Uh, you know, that won't be around. Won't but be I don't selling see this. anybody. There's going to be somebody. Is it impossible to do it, given that you people set trails, you and the Who and the Stones, and, and you were so different from what had ever come before, and now everything is maybe just a little refinement? Is it that? that it, well, you know, in those days, too, don't forget that the record industry wasn't as big and powerful and as... You know, how so much money, sure. and uh, you know, I mean, everything's bigger. There's more yeah. people in the world, there's more, ever, there's just more so it's of everything. To, to grab the so fear. there's more music and yeah. there's more opportunities, yeah. but at the same time, you it's harder to find the real talent because everybody's got a certain amount of talent, and with all the equipment you've got in a studio, it's easy to make a record that can top the charts, like a Debbie Gibson yeah. or whatever. I don't want to single her, no, 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 but right, you know, no. that kind of thing. Um, but what does it take to to become a, a almost a culture star? I think it's born into you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like karma. This thing, word karma, which comes from the Sanskrit, uh, you know, to do. It means really, it's like a it's a culmin uh, accumulation of good and bad actions that we've done in our past. And it's just the thing of, why are you Joe Smith? Why am I George? Why is Dylan him? Why is Sinatra him? It's, it's bigger than... We can't really analyse it. To know that, we'd know God, really, because we all have our own karma and we come into these bodies in this life and we, you know, we fulfil our karma or, or try to undo it or whatever. And in a way, it's like the Beatles... You can take them separately and analyze all their energy and all this. But when you put them together, astrologically and chemically, something strong takes place that, that even the Beatles don't understand. But, but As Dylan said, to understand, you know, too soon, there is no sense in trying. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, as great a, uh, a, a poet and a He is brilliant. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you just have to listen to... You know, just take one of his tunes, you know, like Blowing in the Wind or um, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, Tambourine Man. And, I mean, to me, he is like, uh, you know, he makes William Shakespeare look like Billy Joel. <laughs> Tell me, the other night in New York, what it meant to you and, and what you felt being up on the stage with that crowd. Well, it was, it was sort of like I expected, uh, which is that it was very stressful being there with that mob of people and all the undertones of New York, you know, and the heaviness and the buzz of that city. And quite honestly, it was a bit chaotic, the organisation. I think Army has to get a better organisation. But once the induction ceremony started, I really enjoyed it. And as Mo Austin said to me, it mightn't appear to be much to you at the moment, especially when you're just trying to get a holiday after all this work. But if you go, it, it's, it is history. It's going to be part of history, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy being there. And I did. I, I'm glad. I'm so glad I didn't miss it. I, I said to Paul the week before, yeah, I was in London, Yeah, and I said, a lot of things come and go, but this will never be repeated. You will never, ever... Get in the Hall of Fame again. <laughs> and, and never be on a stage with that cast of characters at one time. He must be so sick with himself. 
Now, I don't know if it was Eastman who told him. I, I think a lot of people all around him. I had, I had gone to everybody around him. But he him should have followed his heart because we were so close. We were just yeah. really getting together and all this is and, coming together. And it didn't happen. It, but it, it's he's the one yeah. who suffered. Oh, of course, I had four seats saved on a Concord that morning. Yeah, I had booked four seats. But I just wanted from your standpoint. Yeah, I just thought was, it was yeah. a childish thing to yeah. superimpose because you know from Capital now we're really the closest we've ever got yes. to getting this out of the I way. Think, I think, I think we can way. get it out of the way yeah. within the next month, yeah. and the problem Paul has with us dissolves immediately. Now, to suddenly drag that out and superimpose it on a situation that had nothing to do with that, in a way, it's, um, yeah. it's not just him trying to needle me and Ringo and Yoko. No, no, no. It's like him showing a lack of consideration for the music industry that, that's what and I his to own say. contribution I to say, together. I said, this has nothing to do with, with internal warfare, Vicky. It's a one-time... It, it won't happen again. Well, I bet he's no. as sick as a dog for not going. Sure. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, you were also. I'll wind this up now, so you go. You were part of a, what, a party that Amit was talking about that I ran at my house a number of years. Oh, ago. that was brilliant! That? Yeah, that was one of the yeah. great, great. Whatever party. happened to the yeah. drifters? And yeah. uh, they yeah, were in that's that. right. Yeah, whatever happened yeah. to the drifters? I've still got the little book matches. The book matches with, with three the, pictures on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Jerry Wexler, Jerry Wexler, Amit Nesvi, yeah. You know, as, as we look back now, and we've been around 25 years, and we hope we're around as long as we want to be around, yeah. moments like that and other moments just pop right up in your head, because yeah. it's not about having the hits. No. It's about... It's like Mick Jagger said in his speech, I thought he yeah. was really good, what yeah. he said about the Beatles, but all I say is, well, I like to think we're still all friends, because they were the, some of the best times of our life. And it's true. Thank you, Dave.